crying. I am crying. I thought... Oh my god. Oh. Oh, why did they do that? You said it gets worse. That is so bad. Oh my god. My goodness, we have another episode of Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jesse. And my goodness. Jamila is processing after watching Dave Chappelle's Netflix special, Sticks and Stones. Um, I watched it, and she just watched it, so she's literally still chewing on it. So we're going to let you let us know what was that like for you. Yeah. I, 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 oh. Okay. One positive I'll say about it is Dave Chappelle is excellent with timing. He is really great with the punchlines, and that's connected with the timing. Not every comedian can do that, do it well. Dave Chappelle is excellent on that. He's very good with the pregnant pause, and he's always been really good with that. You know he definitely learned that from people like Richard Pryor. And it's always funny to see... Dave Chappelle's style because it's part storytelling and it's part shock value. And but on on one level of his career it was more storytelling and now I think in, increasingly it's more shock value. He definitely would lead the joke into one thing and the punchline would be a whole different thing and you go wait what? <laughs> so he's excellent at that. I think with this special Sticks and Stones. The second half was better because it talked more about the quote-unquote opioid crisis versus the quote crack epidemic. He talked more about social issues. And I know a lot of people are saying it's just jokes. If it, if it doesn't apply, let it fly. I don't like that. I don't like that theory. I don't like for myself living that way because to me, if you practice that you don't practice empathy just because you may not be in the lgbtq community it doesn't mean you can't see that the lgbtq plus community is politically and socially marginalized i don't think it's necessary to make a joke out of marginalized communities i think you can use comedy to uh, show the facets of oppression but to target a particular group, it, it, it doesn't sit well with me. And the first half of Sticks and Stones, I felt was reactionary uh, because of the, um, the increasing presence of cancel culture. A lot of comedians are reacting as opposed to responding to it. So, of course, I wrote a whole bunch of stuff down because that's what I do. So I don't forget he starts off with a quote from Kendrick Lamar and Sean Carter so it's interesting to watch this performance today in light of what's happening with Jay-Z 
and to even look at the epilogue of this movie. I don't know what you call it, comedy movie. And to see him hanging out with Jay-Z, and, and I'll get to that. But to have a quote from Sean Carter and Kendrick Lamar, it already set the mood. I don't care what you think. He even said that several times. I don't care what y'all think. I'm going to just say it. Y'all going to hate me anyway. And I, I just don't like looking at life that way. And my analysis is framed more in empathy, humanity. <laughs> and so, of course, he has uh, the quotes. Then he opens with 1999. And so that frames another aspect because he opens and closes with it. Like they play the mommy. Why, why does everybody have a bomb as the credits are rolling? And then, uh, they show at, at the end while they're playing that, they have a picture of course of his wife. And it's like, mommy, what is this? it's just weird. He opens after he sings a portion of 1999. He has a joke about Anthony Bourdain. I actually liked the punchline of the joke. I didn't like the delivery. His point was, it doesn't matter where you are in life. People go through things. We can't make assumptions about people's happiness based on how much they have, which to me was the point. But the delivery of it is like, why is he depressed? Why did he commit suicide if he has all those things? But then the punchline is kind of opposite of that. So that was that was weird because <laughs> he talked about. How, you know, Anthony Bernay had all of these things. He had lived a lavish life. And then he knew a dude in the hood and he got a law degree. But then he ends up, you know, calling women bitches, which I don't like either. And uh, so the woman in this dude's life ended up taking half, which reminded me of the skit in Raw. Eddie, I want half. So, I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> and then, um. So then he goes right into Michael Jackson. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Right before the Michael Jackson thing, he says, I'm going to do two impressions. He talks about uh, the writing of the Constitution, which I thought was funny. Because, again, it's yeah, pointing to society and the system. See, I love when Dave Chappelle does those kind of jokes. But then he goes into, here's my second impression. Cancel culture, because y'all do it. I'm pointing it at you. Again, the proliferation of cancel culture is because of the proliferation of the internet. Cancel culture is not a new thing. And if you look at what happened with steamrolling hip-hop CDs or the disco sucks movement, there's always been cancel culture in one form or another. But because of, what is it, Tumblr and all of these other sites, you're seeing Twitter, especially. Twitter and Facebook. So... That doesn't mean cancel culture is this new thing. And I feel like because it's personally affecting Dave Chappelle, he's only reacting to it when it's always happened. And that's a very good point. I think a lot of people just react to the fact that people are complaining about it. But Twitter is not really a good indication of the world because a lot of people don't even know most of the things people are complaining about. But because something catches fire on Twitter... Those who are involved in Twitter, who's posting on Twitter often, they're going to obviously notice it. But anyone outside of that bubble has no idea. So he's sort of like over-exaggerating him, as well as Ben Shapiro and a lot of other people who <laughs> complain about people being snowflakes and all these other things and social justice warriors. It's like, first of all, this isn't something that even happens as often. It happens. And if it's happening, that does indicate some need to consider why it's happening instead of just 
thanking people or complaining, there is a sense of responsibility that could contribute to the whole conversation. But that's never usually addressed because people like Dave Chappelle can often say, oh, y'all just complain about everything instead of looking at how also the media contributes to just that framing, too. It's not just people complaining. I mean, if people is if someone is screaming about something, there's a reason. You know, it's easy to just say, oh, stop screaming. You're just screaming for no reason. But not all of it is meaningless. Right. And I'm not a fan of cancel culture. We've talked about that. But to me, the reaction to, quote, cancel culture, it's as if people want to be resolved of any responsibility or resolved of any accountability. And the opening lines in Dave Chappelle's show is just like, well, you know, y'all got to complain about me anyway, so I'm going to just say whatever. It just absolves him of any responsibility. Right, and right, right. That's problematic to me. And so, like, are we not supposed to hold Dave Chappelle accountable just because he does comedy? We just let people say anything that's hurtful. And so the Sticks and Stones title, when you had Sticks and Stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Words are hurtful. People internalize. If you get called ugly every single day of your life, you're going to internalize that. To say it's just words. And yeah, I remember it's not very just, clearly, it's not just words. I remember one of the many conversations I had with Pearl Jr. because we used to talk. And she said the same thing because we were talking about uh, Joe's, Joe Jackson, the father, his emotional abuse of his children. And she's like, well, there's just words, like, just, you know, tough it out. I'm like, no, if you hear you're ugly every single day of your life, and that is how I grew up, and I internalized that. If you hear every single day you're worthless, you're stupid, you're ugly, your features are this, and you're not worth anything, you really think somebody's not going to internalize that? So if somebody hears all the time, you're a hoe, or you're a bitch, or you're this, or you're that, or you're too dark, or your your hair is ugly. You don't think somebody's gonna Those try to change Those things are internalized and they reflect in your psychology of how you see yourself. Absolutely, it's not. And you bring up a good point about being a comedian because comedy has always been a favorite of mine, much like philosophy. Because I just love the idea of, you know, because I watched the special and I largely agree to your point. What I got out of it for the most part was just him making use of the fact that everyone is so reactionary. So he used it sort of as a bridge to get away with saying whatever he wanted to say. And I do think comedians still have a responsibility to be honest. I mean, it's not like just because you're a comedian doesn't mean you can't exercise empathy. And if the culture is reacting in a way that's not favorable, then that indicates something. I mean, it's not like it used to be. Things change. And that's what's interesting. You know, society, every year we're going to look at what we're doing now. Five years from now, a lot of what we're doing now is going to be seen as obscene and hurtful. I mean, a lot of people are already ahead in the future when it comes to that. But it's not until later till people are like, oh, hindsight, you know, then you're given this sort of illumination. So at the end of the day, you still have the responsibility to know why people are not accepting those jokes, because if they're not as favorable, then that means, oh, there's a group of people who really don't like them. And some people and he even mentioned this in the um, documentary. Some people could get away with saying certain things because they're a part of it. Now, that brings a whole new sort of conversation because, of course, if someone says, oh, well, I can say that because I'm a part of that. And then they give other people the license to say it. And then that's when it just gets complicated. And then 
we're just <laughs> arguing over semantics, but it's all like this huge responsibility each of us has, even the comedian. Now, a comedian can usually get away with it and not get so much slack. That's what makes it. I mean, but a lot of comedians, you know, also project their own trauma and their own sadness and their own misunderstanding of society. So it's a multifaceted conversation when you really think of it. I'm not going to remember this. I'm going to say it now. So towards the end of the show, he talks about how the jokes where he makes fun of people, he's saying it because it's a reflection of himself, something to that effect. And he talked about living in poverty. But then in the epilogue, he talks about, quote unquote, his trans experience. So I'm taking that as a joke, clearly. But it's funny that he says a lot of the stuff he jokes about is a reflection of himself. And I do wonder if he has had a trans experience. I, I don't know. I am not. Yeah, it's not for me to say that him joking about that was interesting. When right. The main show, he said that a lot of what he jokes about is a reflection of his experience. And hey, that's possible. You know, that's something it would probably give him. It would probably change how people see him if he did, because then people. And that's what's interesting, because the moment you sort of, I don't know, assign yourself to a part of a community, it seems on some level that's good for you. Like you can kind of navigate differently because it's not the same thing. The context changes. So. Now, I'm not saying he's just gone. I don't even know if this happened. But, yeah, I, I see what you're saying about that. Like, it seems there's some sort of implication, possibly, because he does talk about it a lot. And that's one of the things people on Twitter were complaining about, which is like, hey, you know, we've constantly said that this is something we're not OK with. Yet you um you're, you don't care. You know, and I think and his whole framing from the beginning was that. Yeah, y'all going to get mad at this and y'all going to fall into the trap. And that's exactly what happened. You go on Twitter and everyone's complaining. Everyone is saying, oh, this is unacceptable. And it's sort of like, yep, I knew this would happen. So it's very cheap and very easy. It's an easy thing to kind of put out as a prediction because he knew he was going to ruffle feathers. But then at that point, it's just not really funny. Right. It's just like, oh, I'm going to just take the dog because I know I can while adding some of my own personal flourishings. Because overall, I enjoyed it for what it tried to convey. I kind of just got, I just flowed with it as a, you know, he was just coming at all of these different angles. But for the most part, the premise, like you said, when you think of that, sticks and stones, I don't agree that words don't hurt you because they do. They can hurt. I mean, words are what start wars. I mean, you can't, I mean, like people say, those are fighting words. Like (laughs) I would hear that all the time. Like you can't say certain things in certain contexts because it just would set off a trigger or set off whatever. So we got to be more responsible with our words. And we don't always have to be offended by the way people may say, like if they say, hey, I don't like the way you say that, you can understand why instead of being like, oh, well, was it to you or, you know, grow some kahunas or whatever, you know, like. Well, that that's a question I have for you then, because people, Dave Chappelle and all these other comedians and commentators talk about snowflakes, SJWs. But then those same people are also being sensitive. They're also saying, well, you can't critique me. I'm just making jokes. You're being just as sensitive. So what's the difference? You're being just as much of a snowflake. Right. There's a lot of projection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and again, the problem is the removal of accountability. Like, if you don't want to feel as if you, can, you can't be called out because you can say whatever you want to say, it's like, listen, no one is saying you can't say whatever you want to say. 
you can, but that always comes with responsibility. And if you're especially in a position of power and you're just doing it for cheap jokes, it's not really funny. I mean, then society begins to look at you as an asshole. They're like, oh, you ain't funny. You just trying to be an asshole, you know, and then you lose stamina in the whole thing. So I don't think the whole thing is not that you can't joke because he even mentioned in the thing, apparently someone who was trans said, oh, I find you very funny. And if only yes. more people found you funny. I and, wanted to address that later. Um, because, yeah, there was something to that. And I said, hmm. So that made me think about another thing. But one thing I didn't write down that I immediately saw, and I think this was also the color scheme was uh, on the set during the Dave Chappelle show as well. But the C had the red, black, and the green. And as anybody who listens knows, I identifies a pan-africanist and of course yes i did notice that i did notice that the pan-african flag are red black and green he identifies as african-american and it's funny because pan-africanists tend to identify as just african and i'm i'm generalizing very much there's an african identity not particularly african-american or afro-caribbean or it's usually african and he didn't identify as an African at all in this film. He identified as American. And then uh, they took at the end when they had the logo, they took the X-Clan versus Professor X, etc. R.I.P. <laughs> uh, Mumba Carson, R.I.P. And uh, so the red, the black, the green were the keys to say, you know. And so he used that as part of his logo at the end but i was just thinking you're using the rbg colors red black and green and you're identifying uh, as being an american i i just it was so interesting to me to see all of that happening and to have such an identity with america even after everything that happened and he went back home and of course, this film was after he went home, and he's still identifying with America. So I just, I, it's just blowing my mind. You know, <laughs> he's like, I'm just gonna get out of here and go home. So I, I, I'm just processing all of this. As yeah. Well, no, that's a very good point because I did find that interesting. It's like you're saying, you know, you're using these colors, but then you're still like, this is as much as our home as it is anyone else's, which. You know, that whole conversation, and I know we've talked briefly about the ADOS, which I don't agree with that movement at all. Um, but this whole idea of just, yeah, well, you know, our ancestors have been here for the last whatever amount of years. And so this is what this is what is ours now. Yeah, it can be. There's a lot to say about that. And I think he, like a lot of other people, they still have some sort of connection to America. They look at it from this sense of. Oh, this is ours, but it's not ours. I would argue this is not ours. <laughs> this is not right. our land. You know, it's. I mean, if it was ours, then we wouldn't have the Native Americans who have been, you know, tried. They've tried to basically extinguish them. So we can't just think that. Oh, since we're here, we might as well. I mean, I just feel like the conversation is much more nuanced. So seeing how he was just brushing it off like that, and of course, white people love that. <laughs> you know, uh, he's a good, yeah, he's an American, you know, he said. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> and that, 
that does remind me because MJ did the same thing. He's like, I'm a black American. I'm proud. Uh-huh. Even lived here for a half the time in the latter part of his life. Kurt so, said, I was born on a. Yeah, I'm, I'm, really, I'm interested in that where I had a conversation that, with someone in particular about this before and that's a very interesting angle like how do, how far do you go to protect America and just the the whole concept of it being a great nation and what it means for you and being prideful in it like how far does that go you have to ask each individual who identifies with that and says this is my home and I'm going to fight for it because right. I certainly cannot. Answer. I would never say that. <laughs> As a kid, I remember saying that. I would never. I never stood for the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, never... you, yeah, me too. So that's funny because I remember we had to go to assemblies and I was a kid. Nobody said it. So people think again. This is a new phenomenon. Like I grew up not saying it. So unless you were quote forced to, but kids around me did not do it. They didn't say it. So I, I'm not sure why people act act like what Colin Kaepernick did is new. Again, you had Mahmoud Ra- Abdul Raouf. You had all of these people over the years who did not pledge allegiance to the U.S. flag. And yes, there right. were consequences to that. But Colin Kaepernick, what he did is not new. And a whole bunch of kids can tell you, a bunch of African kids would be like, no, we didn't stand. No, we didn't say it. So I, I'm just not understanding why people are acting brand new about any of this. <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> but then Dave Chappelle goes to MJ, and it actually, the way people were talking about it, which is why I wanted to watch it to see for myself so I can you know, have a view. The MJ skit that he did in around 2005 was a little bit longer than the one he did here. But it was a rehash of the 2005 joke. <laughs> it essentially was a rehash of that. So just as he says, well, in 2005, he says, yeah, I know people are going to look at me weird for saying this. But in 2019, he says, I'm going to say something I'm not allowed to say. So he intros it and looks the same way. He gives a look on the side. He just says, I don't think he did it. Same thing. He says, I don't think he did it. But... What if he did do it? Kind of the same exact joke it, written with a few different words. And then I'm actually surprised that no one commented on this because he was trying to be incendiary with this. Uh, trying to just be like, hmm, I'm going to just see how far I can go with this. So he mentions uh, Rihanna being beaten by Chris Brown. He says, well, what did she do? And people were laughing. I said, wow. Wow. And I haven't heard any critiques of that. Everyone was focused on MJ, but nobody talked about that aspect of the joke within the MJ joke. You know, that's true. And I remember when the whole Rihanna thing happened, that was not a foreign argument to hear. I heard that a lot from people like, well, Rihanna's known for being violent. Rihanna's known for being like, who's to say she didn't provoke? Who's to say she didn't hit him first? And then it got out of hand. What I would say to that is... You know, that whole thing of not knowing the details, not knowing what provoked, what who struck first. Obviously, there's no justification for it, but the whole that sort of angle isn't foreign to me. I've heard people say that, like, oh, well, who knows what who knows what provoked it? Who knows not to say it justifies it? But did he do this out of just reaction to being hit? Did she slap him? Did she do, you know, X, Y, Z? 
Yeah, there was that. That was definitely a uh, defense of Chris Brown on that level where clearly she started it. Uh, and uh, being hit that hard, what happened to her face? Uh, no, I, I, I'm inclined to believe that she didn't start anything to warrant that. Uh, and looking at his patterns of violence, I'm going to maintain that statement. But then he also right. that would be an argument to be had before we knew his argument of violence. I mean, he's totally you're right about that. He's he follows through with that. So he more than likely initiated the whole thing. Yeah, but that, that definitely was a defense of Chris Brown when that happened. For sure. And then he uh, talks about the well, what were those kids wearing at the time? I just don't think jokes like that are funny. I don't think pedophilia jokes are funny or rape jokes or abuse jokes i just i don't think they're funny and again i i know he was being incendiary he was i get it but it's just not funny i know people said like anything's up for grabs i personally don't think so i do not think rape is up for grabs and i don't think uh domestic abuse is up for grabs as a joke i don't think sexual abuse pedophile i don't think any of that is up for grabs if somebody who is a survivor of that wants to tell their story in a comedic way? Okay, I may not agree with that. But no, I was going to say there are a lot of comedians that who have yes. suffered those traumas that do that often, and I feel like that's completely different. But if yes. you've never gone through that and you're just coming at it from an angle of oh, how can I offend people because I'm not supposed to say it, but I'm gonna say it anyway, it doesn't usually work. Which is what most of the backlash is composed of. Most people are saying, oh, he knew that this was not okay and he just did it anyway you know exactly. it's, it's very cheap and it's just it's easily manufactured because you know you you know people are going to get to it it's like how can i say the thing that people don't want me to say how can i how can i imply it in the best way possible so where people think i'm just being rude about it so just just saying oh you know that kid was sexually abused what were they wearing it's just no, it's not necessary. Yeah, that's not it's not necessary to go there. It's making light of children being sexually abused. Being, I, I just that that really turned me off. But again, I uh, was going to continue watching it so I can have a view on it. But that really I, I almost turned it off. So then he goes, even if he did do it, which is another rehash of the 2005 skit. He goes, it's Michael Jackson. So. He, again, is trying to be incendiary and excusing a possibility of Michael Jackson possibly being a predator because of who he is. And I just, I again, I think it's a cheap take. I think, again, he says, I don't think he did it, but I, don't, I also don't think it was a defense of Michael Jackson. I think he just saw the movie and said, yeah, I don't see the sufficient evidence, but I don't see what other people are seeing in terms of a defense of Michael Jackson. I've never seen Dave Chappelle exactly defend Michael Jackson. And it was even worse in the 2005 skit. <laughs> he didn't go there necessarily in 2019. But all he was saying is, yeah, I don't think I don't think he did it. People were like, yeah, see Dave Chappelle. And I, I, I don't I don't see it. Like, I don't see any major defense. I don't know how you feel about that. It was enough for fans 
to hear that he didn't believe he did it to find it as a justification for Michael being innocent, like, or just to use that as some sort of emblem. The fact that he said he don't think he did it, because think of those who believe he did it, or who implied that at least he likely did it, like Oprah, or Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres, and a couple of other people. I mean, he, very few, I mean, obviously comedians have their idea. I mean, every comedian, modern comedian, has made a joke about Michael Jackson, including Dave Chappelle, especially Dave Chappelle. Mm -hmm. So, like, coming that that this and then also the framing of it which is that i mean i thought it was interesting how he said okay 10 years michael jackson has been here and we he has two cases you know and i think i liked how he mentioned that because it is sort of insane how we don't look at history the best way we can we don't even look at how people reacted to when it was happening then and then michael jackson you know he's been there for 10 years and we're bringing up this guy just because two people Two people in particular who has a history of lying and especially, you know, Wade Robson has a history of lying and changing his story. And he's come back 10 years later with the last straw in the cannon. And it worked because, in a sense, society now isn't as ignoring of just those. And it's good also that we are being more inquisitive and we put to task these behaviors that celebrities do, because I don't think celebrity worship and any of that is okay. Um, I just think it's sort of misleading that we don't look at how Michael went through this trial before and he didn't necessarily survive it. I mean, three years later, he died and I mean, he was killed. But the whole idea that we can look back into someone's past and project what they said or say, oh, this is what they said. Oh, we should counsel them because they said this and this is offensive. It just, you know, and that's when it's the. I and mean, Michael's not here to defend himself, so that's another thing. I mean, he won in a trial of law. He actually did go to court, and they found him not guilty. So everything beyond that is just speculation and just, oh, Michael was naive, and he should have never done that. But at the end of the day, the fact that we believe and we don't really look at – what I took out of it is that we don't really think of context. We don't – We a lot of people don't study history. They don't know. They don't even – put the charge on themselves to research or to find information. They just speak reactively, emotionally, because they see a clip that is probably missing 90% of the context. And then they go off of that as reliable data and they retweet somebody who claims to know that's not enough information. Like if you're not actually doing the research, you don't know. People lie. People manipulate. People put their own framing, their own interpretation is the reason why there's over God knows how many translations of the Bible, you know, like you can tell the story and change the narrative all you want. That's what humans are good for. So if you're not actually correlating and looking why X meets Y, then you're going to be in a host of trouble, a lot of deception. It takes a while to unravel all of that, but it's better than just relying on someone who might not know fully what happened. Everybody has their own story, but doesn't mean that we can't be objective about the whole thing. Before we get into the rest of it, what are your thoughts about public people now being open in their support of Michael Jackson because of Dave Chappelle, in particular, the executors? It's pretentious. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like you need him to be the way for it. Like he needed to be the signal. I mean, it's it's clearly something that they did because they knew it would bring attention like oh we you know we didn't believe that either but it's it's poor in performance 
everyone can see it, you know, like it's going to end up being just something the world will never be able to like going to what we talked about just the other day. Like, I do think there's going to be a time when safe Chuck cracks and he admits that he was put up to all of it. And he just, just admits that he was lied to and he just did it because he was desperate. And then the world is going to look back at it and it's going to just be this non ending conversation around just such ickiness like the scenarios in which michael jackson existed i always say are just so phenomenal to me like his life and his legacy will always be one of amazing confusion for a lot of people (laughs) you know like confusing but also just sort of reflective of a lot of other things that a lot of us can't see from the top because there's a lot of other things when you really look at what he endured in his life and just his response to that it's quite amazing um but yeah i don't think that's always honest i don't think it's honest for them to now come at it from the angle like oh yeah we now just jumping off of dave Chappelle. that's because in their response they mentioned dave Chappelle, and they mm. are... oh i didn't know that yeah I didn't, so... I didn't even see the response what did they say exactly yeah you know we agree with what dave Chappelle said and they're trying to clap back at robson and safe chuck now and... <laughs> that's so sad like and dave Chappelle again he just just because for a lot of people it's just the fact that he mentioned it and he said he didn't believe it that was enough for them no one else outside of there's been no comedian really talking about it you know he's a top one and it becomes and then i know that you know i believe wade robson made a response to it and said oh it's offensive for that he would ever blah 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 but it's like ugh. The whole thing is that it's an irresponsible, like if it would have been more effective to me if he came at it from the perspective of he'd been through this before, look at how it's being framed. Like if he took it from that angle instead of playing with the, oh, but what if he did it? And, oh, you know, he was because then it just makes it like this enigma, like Michael didn't have he was just trapped into this mysterious gaze. And I don't think that's honest. It's really a very, it's a mammoth of a conversation to have usually. If someone is aware of Michael Jackson and they know about, again, it's bringing attention to it because not a lot of people have even seen it. And, you know, then you're talking about it again. So it might pique curiosity. And I don't know. It's it's just really a lot going on. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one of the responses that uh, John Brinka the primary executor of MJ's estate says Wade's accusations emerged only after his book failed and we turned him down for a job with our Las Vegas show nine years ago. He couldn't get a job until HBO and Dan Reed hired him. He'll say anything to avoid answering the question of why people like Dave Chappelle don't believe him or to address the factual holes and inconsistencies in this one-sided documentary. It's not a documentary, but whatever that did not interview a single person other than the two guys and their families who were in it for the money. Sorry, Wade, you weren't good enough to direct our show. So now he decides to clap back and it's irresponsible for the head executor of an estate. I just really think you need to be more responsible and not go to social media or be influenced by social media to 
respond to people if you have a legal case. It's just you're going outside of bounds here. That's just my view. <laughs> For people to defend once again what Dave Chappelle was saying and not hold him accountable for his own irresponsibility in saying, well, what did Rihanna do to get beat like that? I think you can look at both things. You can support one thing and also critique another. Is this all or nothing reaction to what Dave Chappelle has said or even in this leaving Neverland fiasco? As I said, I think the positive out of leaving Neverland is you you really do know where people stand at this point. And I think that is a positive out of it. <laughs> but in both the non-supporters and the supporters, you see how people are and how they're going to react or respond to particular situations. So there's always going to be a, a positive and a negative to things. Absolutely. And um, that's the whole idea. Like, there's so much more to it than just reacting defensively or just to say, Oh, like the fact that he again, I agree with that. Like he didn't have to even say anything about it. I mean, huh, just to see how Michael's estate is being ran right now. I mean, I know we're going to talk about this later in the podcast about African voices in particular being left out of the narrative. That's something that, you know, when you look at Michael's estate, John Brinker, John McClain, like they're not. <laughs> I mean, John McClain is of African descent, but where is he? Where is he to be yeah. found? nowhere oh what's up (laughs) but then you have you know the the prince's state is now being run by the family at this point uh so it's not being or or the um what is it paisley park is now being run by the estate as opposed Mm -hmm. to raceland or the company and that's a good thing i would say on a lot of fronts it's going to just be a different shift it'll have a better communication with in terms of solutions, Graceland had their own agenda, which I get that. I mean, they've been in the industry for as long as Graceland has been out. So they had a certain solid approach to the way they did business. But now that can be challenged a bit and it can you know, find a different focus. Wade Robson's response to the Dave Chappelle special said that it was disgusting, irresponsible, and inexcusable. And you could say the same thing for leaving Neverland. I think is entirely irresponsible. Uh, you could say it was disgusting and inexcusable. You know, that could be a whole de- a debate around that, but I think how they did go about it. No, it was disgusting how they, from what I hear, I mean, just the detail and what they were saying, what they were implying, all of these things. You know, it's clearly that they had a motive. It was not objective. That's the problem with it. Like, you can't call something a documentary if you don't even examine the people who claim he didn't do it. And you frame certain scenarios to just reflect, like, oh, he, he had to do it because this, he did this, or because he gave me that. And then also lying about burning these things he had, not admitting to the stuff he actually did sell. Right. <laughs> um, it's like, it's not objective. You're lying. You know, that should be challenged. It's just not easily swallowed just because you're saying you it happened to you. But I, I will agree with Wade Robson on this. What, what do they say? A broken clock is right two times a day. I do think it's disgusting for Dave Chappelle to make light of sexual abuse. So I do agree with him on that. In the context he's talking about, I don't agree because he also made light of sexual abuse by making it a show and doing a promotional tour around it. And so that's just as disgusting. 
Right, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So you, you see yourself here. Yeah. Stones at glass houses, Wade Robson. Yeah, let's <laughs> keep that in perspective. So then he goes into R. Kelly, and oh my goodness. So because I think the way he framed it again is that pregnant pause because he starts singing uh, Bump and Grind, and I think what I could read from the audience, it sounds like they were thinking, oh, is he gonna support R. Kelly? Like what's the <laughs> So, of course, he's like, no, I don't, I don't support him. But then he goes into Dream Hampton, who he called a friend in the special. But then he also calls her a bitch. I'm like, what? Stop calling women. That's, that's a huge problem I have. He talks about how she asked him to be part of the Surviving R. Kelly movie. She said, well, he told me it was too hot for TV. So her response was, and she says, quick fact check. I didn't personally or casually invite Chappelle to be interviewed for the doc. The producer responsible for celeb outreach officially asked him more than once. I haven't seen or talked to him in about eight years. So I wouldn't say they were friends, <laughs> which he used the word friend in that special. Yeah, I feel like he only used that word just to make it seem as if it was coming from a place of respect because I didn't think that they were friends. I mean, that was almost like saying, Oh yeah, that's my, that, that word friend, we can do a whole podcast of how easily that word is thrown, thrown around. I mean, you should because, because Michael and Prince both talked about the concept of friend. So we, we could definitely, <laughs> that's a good one. That's good. Yeah. Just going, you yeah. know. She says, I haven't seen or talked to him in about eight years. Weird. He told his joke that way. I think it was weird to dream. Hampton. She says, narcissism is a hell of a drug. Ooh. Ooh. And says, I also obviously didn't need Chappelle to talk about R. Kelly personally. I wanted him to talk about the two pieces of cultural criticism he produced about R. Kelly for the Chappelle show, which was my thought when he was asked to do it. I was thinking, well, he did two skits about it, two pieces of satire about it. So, of course, they want to talk to him because... He was a huge part of the conversation. That made sense to me, but he but took see, it. Dave Chappelle sort of absolves himself from his past work, especially the Dave I Chappelle see. show. Like he never wants to go back on that piggy bank because he feels like they just crack him for all he asked for that. And he never, I've noticed that ever since he came back to comedy, he's just resisted that whole conversation because to him, I think it was just, how can I take what's going on in the culture right now and make it funny and bring some sort of social commentary without being attached to it per se? Because he was digging that everybody. That was obviously one of his most classic ones because it was just so obscene and gross. But yet it was funny on a lot of levels. So right. it was like he knows he knows that that was the reaction, but he sort of like never wants to go he just seems to think that anytime he's involved, but, and I actually liked how he was saying that. Like, I don't know him. I don't know him. He was just literally a figurehead. I think for him, R. Kelly was sort of just like, wow, look at this dude. He's really a predator to young girls. And yet he makes all of these classics. And he was trying to find a way, how can I make it funny, but yet talk about how just ruthlessly disgusting it is. Because it was like, at the end of the day, he still never hung out with him. It's not like he actually knew him. He didn't. So he's like, why would I talk about it when I don't even know him? He's just somebody who was who was doing something really messed up in society that I found as a good, you know. Potter. Yeah. 
Potter. And that was actually, like, when he did that, that was another use of the pregnant pause because the way he framed it, it was it was if he was going to say something else. He's like, I don't know him. Right, he's like, I don't know. Right, the pregnant pause. Well done, but how he talked about Dream Hampton, I was like, ugh, because the way that I thought he was asked was exactly how Dream Hampton said he was asked. So that made sense to me that he would be asked to be in the movie, given that he was a huge part of that conversation. And even R. Kelly was like, I don't know Dave Chappelle when that stuff was going on. He's because he was asked, like, oh, what do you think of the Dave Chappelle skit? He's like, I don't know him. It was clear he did know him and know of him. And uh, I think that is the comedy where it is kind of incendiary, but it works well. Because, yeah, R. Kelly is a child rapist, but how Dave Chappelle framed it, you could have been talking about anybody, but it was talking about uh, R. Kelly. But then when they had the credits, you know how they have an MTV where they have the song and the, but they put directed by Chuck Berry. He was like, oh! So it was just really, the whole thing, he called out Chuck Berry and R. Kelly at the Right. Time. Yes, I remember. Oh, yeah. So it was yeah. just like, oh, like, you, it's that kind of joke, you just go, oh, but you laugh about it. So Dave should know right. do it without being like, ugh, why are you doing it like that? So he knows how to do it. But now he's just being reactionary. So then, so she also says, I also have never in my life said the words too hot for TV because, bitch, that's not how I sound. So she's playing up on what he said. Uh, There's nothing more radical or necessary than comedy that takes on power. Thank you. An actual brave and brilliant comic can collapse regimes and shift culture in ways nothing and no one else can. I hope someone emerges. So that was... Ooh, she was shading the hell out of him. She was basically saying, you ain't nothing, man. You ain't no great comedian. You ain't nothing. <laughs> and that's what I want to get to for later on because it because what happened in the epilogue reflects exactly what Dream Hampton said. So I want to get to that. But, but now... He talked about what you mentioned earlier, where he said, oh, you know, like, y'all already know what I'm going to say. I don't care. And he said, because remember, bitch, you clicked on my face. And so there's that conundrum that exists for people who are cultural critics who don't want to just have an opinion without watching it. So it's kind of like you're damned if you do or damned if you don't. Because if you talk about it and say, well, Dave Chappelle said this about the LGBTQ community or whatever, and people are going to go, well, did you watch it? No. Then you don't have anything to say about it. But then if you watch it and critique it, well, he's just trying to be funny. So you can't win either way. So how you do you can't hope- win. You can't break even and you can't get out of the game. So it's true. Yeah. It's, you can't win. Yeah, you watch it. And that's why I felt that was a cheap joke, because, again, yes, anyone is going to click it if they found it of interest. Oh, this is the new Dave Chappelle special. And especially if you're a critic, of course, you're going to have to watch it. But to say that people can't say, yeah, you know, you said it like even my friend who mentioned it to me, he was like, well, it wasn't my favorite. He said, I've seen way better specials, but I can appreciate some of his approaches. You know, that's how he framed it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a watch. You know, I don't watch anything to... And he, again, he's reminding me like so many other people online that just come... Like Jordan Peterson, he's a perfect example. I haven't kept up with what he did 
since last year. But Jordan Peterson used to always do that, like complain how people are so sensitive. Yet he would be online saying how, oh, you guys have to sign up for petitions because they're trying to bet. Like he never wanted to take responsibility because he always made it seem as if, oh, well, people are so sensitive. But yet you're sensitive, too. You don't want anyone attacking you. You don't want anyone looking at you (laughs) as a liar. So you kind of are involved in the game, too. So. Of course, people are. There's gonna always be a part of the culture that's like, I don't like this. This is a problem, and this is why it's a problem. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to um, engage them, but you can't dismiss their argument. You can't act as if it's invalid because then, when are you going to take responsibility? Everyone is required to be responsible. Now, if you're not going to be responsible, then that just shows you you're not. You you don't care about the process. You don't think the process matters. You think the only thing that matters and no one really feels that way because if everyone started to attack him unanimously, again, he has the benefits of being a comedian because most comedians, unless they say something completely like if their lifestyle contradicts what they're joking about or something like that, usually they can kind of get away with anything. They might be slammered, but ultimately they're kind of given a pass because, you know, they're being funny, but you can't, but the moment can happen. It still could happen. It's like Louis C.K. and you mentioned him too. Like, it's that's uh, uh let's not even go on that rabbit hole. But <laughs> it's just because I did want to talk about that too. I didn't write it down because he gets into that and Kevin Hart. So the Louis C.K. thing again. There's so many women and femmes who have experienced in public places someone masturbating in front of them. That is technically sexually assault so if louis ck did that in front of people who felt uncomfortable it could be deemed sexual assault for him to make light of that that's what i mean it's just to be like well whatever like you weren't harmed it's that sticks and stones thing again where people only look at abuse as being physically abused if you get knocked upside the head or if you were actually Excuse me, if anybody's triggered by this conversation, I apologize. But rape, that's the only way people find validity in what you have to say. You have to have physically been touched or something for people to go, oh, wow, that's too bad. But if somebody calls you ugly for the majority of your life and you internalize, oh, that's you should have just got over it. And that's, to me, what... Dave Chappelle was implying where, oh, there's no harm in somebody just just whacking off in front of you. Like, why should that even be happening? What's wrong with people? I, I, me and so many other women in particular have been the recipients of that. You get stopped dead in your tracks because you don't expect it to happen. In my situation, and I have been sexually assaulted numerous times in my life. But in this case, I was on the train. I think it was a C train in New York City. And this guy just pulls out his penis, starts whacking up. And there's other dudes on the train, but everybody's asleep because it's late at night. And I just, I didn't even, I wasn't even able to scream. I was stopped so dead in my tracks. I moved to another car. The guy moves into the same car and does it again. I get out of the car and he gets out with me. What's wrong? And I was just, uh, what just happened? So that this is happens, absolutely insane. Wow. This happens to a lot of women. And it, it's like if a car is coming at you, people are, why are you not moving? It's like you're stopped dead in their tracks. You know, you, it's like to be like, this is what I would have, you don't know what you yeah. would have. You don't know what you would have done in a situation like that. Yeah, that's, 
that's a very important context. So for Dave Chappelle to be like, oh, masturbation is not terrible. It's, it's, like you don't know what happened. And if somebody is looking at that as a sexual assault, then they're not some sexual. I mean, it is a sexual. It's almost it's equivalent to. I mean, first of all, you're putting them in their situation. Just because you asked them, like, what do you say? Like, it's a very random, the whole thing, you can't justify it. Because it's not professional, it's not okay, it's not consensual. I mean, it's consensual if you say, hey, can I do this? They say yes, but if they, if, but it, it's not just as simple as that. It's not just as simple, because if you're in a position of power, then that challenges that whole authority thing. Right. So again, like that, the whole Louis C.K., I don't think any of that is wise to defend, but um just the whole narrative again i i think how i would summarize the whole dave Chappelle thing is that he knew what would work in terms of reaction and he went with it and he went with it with no like hey come at me if you want because if you do bam i told you you would which again not effective not effective but if it definitely it, it definitely shows you just kind of his overall what he uses as social collateral, like the things that are going on in the world now, he spends it to make it, you know, almost like, oh, well, we knew this would happen. You knew, y'all know how I am. Right, right, y'all, y'all know what to expect. I don't know what y'all complaining about. Y'all going anyways? I'm gonna say it. It's like you're you're absolved from any responsibility because we know what you're gonna say. That just makes no amount of sense. And then you could say all of these white dudes will. You absolve me of responsibility. You're just doing whatever. Why do you get to call each other this? Why do you do that? And it's it to me, it's not the same exact argument, but it's along those lines, where people who have some amount of privilege, either a gender privilege or ethnic or racial privilege, or why can I say that? You get to say that, or why am I not absolved? And it just becomes this snowball argument, this circular reasoning and it it, is just ineffective it's not sustainable and it lacks empathy just because you are not marginalized or in a particular community you can't even imagine how language hurts people it's just sad that we don't have that amount of consideration for how other people live this is what frustrates me about the defensive the Dave Chappelle special. I'm not ready to cancel him or whatever. Like, I'm not trying to do that. But I can't cancel somebody by myself anyway. But to the amount of defense of the special, it amazes me and not in a good way. And so he goes to talk about Kevin Hart. Uh, he says, well, he said this particular thing and he said he wasn't going to apologize and he spent six months on this apology tour. But what he said was, if I find out my kid's gay, I'm going to smash the dollhouse over his head. It was clearly a joke because he would have had to have bought the dollhouse for him to smash it over his head. And still, to allude that it's not okay for your son to be gay, how is that a good joke? I don't see how it's a good joke. I did think that joke was sort of, um, I didn't know how to really take it. I, I see where he was trying to bridge it, but it sort of fell at the fullest delivery because I'm thinking of that. I mean, that whole narrative is a very common one among a lot of black people, especially this anti-LGBT, you know, that joke, 
I mean, it wasn't even a joke. He was coming out. He was probably serious when he said that. Mm-hmm. Um, I and think. He felt, yeah, because a lot of people have those thoughts and they're not in any way nice. Usually there's really no the whole problem with that was people bringing it up and he feeling as if he mentioned it and he had to mention it again. That was what I took from it. Again, that's when people say, well, why don't you delete the stuff that you know is going to make you. But going through that whole level of apologizing over and over. <laughs> that was what was funny, too, though, because he basically said he was not going to apologize for it. But then he ended up having to do it <laughs> in a way. Because he knew what was at stake. He wanted to keep his job. So in order to keep his job, he had to do that. And I think that was an interesting point Dave Chappelle made. And Dave Chappelle just said, you know, I, I'm going to say what I have to say. And I'm not going to apologize for it. So that's the implication I got from what Dave Chappelle was saying. And that's why he left the industry. Because he didn't want to go through what Kevin Hart did. So I'm going to say what I have to say. And, you know, like. F your accountability. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. Right. So, but then he kind of go with, goes in on DL dudes. So he says, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm not going to say what Kevin Hart said, because this is Atlanta and I know a right. bunch of you are next to your wives. So <laughs> on the DL thing. Right. Like, okay. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> and then he went in on the standards and practice Thing, which I thought was the good part because he did talk about the uh, contradictions and saying the N-word, but you can't say the F-word. Uh, so I thought that skit was good. But then he went into the LGBTQ community and I'm like, oh, it's funny, which makes me think he does hang out with a lot of LGBTQ people. I got that he hung out with a lot of folks in the community because he actually told that narrative pretty well. Uh-huh. And because there's a ton of misogyny in the gay male community, and a lot of people do not like bisexual people. Exactly. I did think that was very. I love. I think that was a really clever way of doing it. The L's, the B's, and the like that whole thing because it was funny how your brain connected to just those different um, categories or just how people communicate. And I've noticed. And you're right. I believe just like you, he's had to hang out with some a lot of people from the LGBT community because he was able to register with. And I've had friends that watched the special who who laughed who said, oh, wow, he got that spot on. Like, it was pretty spot on, I have to yeah. say. It was like, OK, like you making these jokes, but it's a little too good. It was like Eddie Murphy all over again. It's a little too good for you to not be hanging out with no lgbtq people but then he still had some kind of lgbtq sentiment and that was my problem because he's like i have gay friends but this thing and that thing and then he went in on pansexual people and trans people and non-binary people i'm like why you why you gotta kind of have somewhat of a pretty good joke and then kind of just ruin it and why do you have to do that dave Chappelle? i have a question Real quick, that I just want to know what you would think on this. What do you say about someone who, I forget this person's name, but they are part of the LGBT community. And they, it wasn't sort of like Dave Chappelle's skit, but sort of like it. Like they were speaking of how there are these differences in the community and how she didn't like gay men. She just thought gay men were repulsive because of blah, blah, blah. And she went into all of these details. 
when she did it, of course, the crowd thought it was funny. They was received much better. So is it different because Jay, Dave Chappelle, you know, considers himself a straight man. Him doing it in reverse to someone who's not straight and they can do it. It's the same thing to me as Richard Pryor, uh, who was part of the LGBT community, saying a gay joke. And someone who identifies as heterosexual making those jokes. No, it doesn't go over the same way. For instance, you know, we're using the N word or whatever. I don't use it. I don't like it. I refuse to use it. But is that white people cannot use it? So it's, it's mm-hmm. people in the community can tell those jokes, but someone who's not in the community and who is not marginalized in that way, for you to tell those jokes and and expect the same response? Mm, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. So. I would have to hear the joke to see what the context is, because she could be um, talking about it in the context of um, patriarchy. And so that gay men in the community practice uh, major misogyny. It could be coming from that, but I don't know the joke. So I can't say, oh, right. she's spot on or not. I don't know. But Dave Chappelle is yeah, I mean, I don't, but it's clear the way he described the relationship between LGBTQ people. I was like, you, either you study the LGBTQ communities or you hang out with people in the LGBT. It was a little too perfectly described. And so I thought it was like, okay, but then, then he gets in on the Qs and then he gets in on trans people and yeah. And so even the treatment of trans people in the gay community, because a lot of people, well, trans people don't belong in that. It's just, and so he got some of that sentiment, but then he decided to go, oh, whatever you want to call yourself. And I was just like, wow, okay, okay. So you just kind of fell flat. I think it's, he's hung around enough folks in the communities and I say communities because LGBTQ communities are not monolithic. <laughs> so he's hung around enough people in the LGBTQ plus communities to tell that joke and have it be somewhat accurate. So I was like, okay, dude, like what? <laughs> okay. And so when he talks about when he met up with Daphne, the trans woman, I was like, is there some validity to that joke? And I don't know if there's validity to it because he was married. So that would mean he was cheating on his wife. But was he kind of putting Daphne, mixing it in with that experience and that happened before he got married, when he was on the comedy circuit? I don't know. But he's clearly mixing some stuff in. So, uh, But he was telling that joke a little too well, like Eddie Murphy told gay jokes a little well. So, uh, <laughs> but then he says, I can't stop writing jokes about the trans community. I saw something uh, with Malik Yoba, who was uh, in uh, New York Undercover. So he talked about uh, being a lover of trans women. So he identifies as heterosexual. And he was recently at an event it honored trans women and honored folks in the LGBTQ community. But then he talked about the treatment of trans women and says, you know, as a heterosexual man, you know, I. I love trans women and we have to step up and honor our trans women. And I was, I was like, okay. Okay. Is that the guy you said from New York undercover? <laughs> yeah, Malik Yoko. Wow. Yeah. I love, that's one of my favorite shows of all time, by the way. Okay. 
So, yeah, Malik Yoba is an African that's in support of the trans community and says, what did he say? He's, uh, oh, I, I forget, but he says in his statement that he's attracted to trans women because he's attracted to women. So regardless of them being cis or trans, he's attracted to women. The, but of course, the response he got or the reaction, I should say, is, oh, that means you're gay because trans women are not women, they're men. And it, it, so it was like, wow. I wouldn't attack Dave Chappelle totally because he did get the nuance of the diversity of thought in the LGBTQ community. But I think that's just because he hangs out with LGBTQ people. But then he also makes anti-LGBTQ jokes. And that is what he needs to be held accountable for because he's used the F word numerous times in that special where he didn't really have to. And so, yeah, it was partly problematic and partly like, okay, dude, I see where you're going. So I'm sure there are trans people who are like, yeah, you got that right. And, you know, and there are people going to be like, this was disgusting. And then how he attacked trans people was he used his whole uh, idea. Well, if I felt like I was Asian inside, but I presented as a black man, people were going to be like, why are you doing your face like that? And he goes, well, this is how I feel inside. And it's just it's a tra- It's attacking trans and non-binary people. And I don't think that was necessary. So while you got the nuances of the varying relationships, you had to go and tell that cheap joke. And that's, mm, no. And then he talked about how he has a Me Too headache and how um, he said, oh, in my last special, I told y'all you were right women, but the way you're going about it was not going to work. And who is he to tell women and femmes? Yeah, I thought that was insane. He was like, the way you're going about it is right. How to... Uh, organized for their liberation how how who was he to say that you're doing it wrong or right you're not making me comfortable and you have to do it this way so again if white people said to africans oh y'all need to you know do do peaceful protests y'all need to do it this way he would step up and be the one of the first people to say don't tell me how i'm gonna protest so you're telling women and femmes how they should protest because somehow you think it's ineffective so I was like, so why you gotta start off okay and then just go bam? Like, why, why, why is Dave Chappelle doing this? Because <laughs> then he talks about, also talks about, yo, if you have a penis, like I can't tell women how to choose. And then, but there's women with penises, so like we, I, and I know he's talking about cisgender people, so I, you know, but in my mind, I'm like, but there's women with penises like wait a minute there's trans yeah you know <laughs> but he's talking about you know bio women cis- cisgender women i know so he starts off with that and i was like okay dave okay i got you but then he says uh if you decide to have the baby uh, men shouldn't pay and i was like oh here we go again he starts off okay and then the punchline is just like Rrr. yeah i think he and see that's his whole thing now like I knew he was going to follow back that with something ridiculous because if he didn't, it wouldn't be a joke to him. The way he's framing his whole comedy approach is, okay, I'm going to say something good until, you see, it's the punchline thing. It's the, it's the pregnant pause. It's like, right. say it and then pause. Nah, I'm not going in that direction. I think that's the overall 
idea behind Sticks and Stone. Like, oh, it's good, but nah. I mean, that's that's what I can see when I when I look at it. Because right. he's no, he's just staying faithful to that formula. He'll say something good, he'll include, and it'll be all good, and then he'll dog it out. Right. He's like, my money, my choice. Oh, Dave Chappelle. Oh, my goodness. So that's the first half. So then you get to the second half, and it's actually okay. It's, it's a little bit better, and I actually laughed a couple times. He went back to the first half a couple of times in the second portion, but overall, he talked more about society and racism slash white supremacy. So I was like, okay, this is the Dave Chappelle that is old school Dave Chappelle. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So he talked about the school shootings and he said, uh, shooting up schools is a white kid's game. And I was like, okay, so this is the old school Dave Chappelle. He actually framed this joke in a brilliant way. <laughs> like, okay. So he talked about there's no peaceful way to disarm America's whites. And it's true. There is no right. way you're going to do that. So I was like, okay, where, he's, where is he right. going? Where is he going with this? Yeah. So he talks about Africans in America, but he says Africans, African-Americans, Africans in America will save America from itself. So I'm like, oh, where is he going with it? Yeah. And this when he starts identifying as an American and stuff, and says, this is your country too. And I was like, where is he going? Yeah. Everybody knows he's going to frame the joke like we all need to get out and vote because that's how we said it. Right, up. that's how I framed. That's how I was so framed. <laughs> so like, oh, here we go. Then he goes, every African American must register for a legal fire. I was like, <laughs> right. I was like, oh, that was good. I know. That is literally the most brilliant joke in that whole special. Yeah, like, absolutely. That was a moment where I was like, wow, he really had me going. Because I swore the chain of where my brain was going, he was about to say, we have to vote. Like, you know, because that's the typical, like the whole nuanced steps he had that packed. But then when he was like, he said, all register for a firearm. He was like, woo. That's the only way they stop these shootings. And I think that's the one that got yeah. the most laughs out of the whole special, too. But how he set it up, that's classic Dave Chappelle. And that's definitely inspired and influenced by Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just like, this is our country too. And, you know, how are we going to make America better? But, you know what we have to do? Every African in America must register for a legal fire. <laughs> <laughs> that Dave Chappelle I love right there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, okay. So he said, that's the only way to change the law. That goes back to the Panthers. The Panthers were doing the same thing. It's like, we're looking at the Second Amendment. We have the legal right, right? And so, of course, the NRA was like, what? And Reagan? They said, ah, 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 ah. But yeah, if everybody of African descent registered, uh, yeah, you're going to see some luck. So that was the way he framed it. That was literally, that was my favorite joke in the whole special. <laughs> and then he talked about also how he framed the opioid crisis, quote unquote, and the, the crack quote epidemic. Because he said, just say no, white people. What's so hard about that? That's what y'all said to us. So now, the right, right, half, that was good. <laughs> like, how come you weren't on a roll in the first half? What's going on? <laughs> and then he goes into Jesse Smollett, 
most of that was actually funny. But then when he started with like the anti-gay thing, I was like, ah. but most of it was funny. Right, most and of it was funny. They, they showed the audience, and some people didn't even know he was talking about Justin Smollett because he was like. Uh, juicy Smollett, and people were like, "Who's that?" Right, <laughs> so he was like, saying it. Right, exactly. He was saying it. And and some people were like, "Oh, here we go. We talk about Jesse." But some people, like you saw, they they showed these two women. They were like, "Huh?" <laughs> but most people knew we were talking about Jesse Smollett. <laughs> yeah, how he framed a lot of that, and and when he was just like. White people don't call you no f word, no m word. I'm not gonna say, but that that's, that's that's I would do that. Like I know white people would do that. They don't even watch no Empire. And he's like, come to find out, was two Nigerians. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, how he said he's an amazing storyteller. How he sets it up is just what he says. It's just ah. Oh. So the whole thing with the oh, like just the last half is like okay. This is, I guess, what I was waiting for. And then uh, he talked about the poor versus broke. He set that up brilliantly as well. Because he said, my father didn't yell at me. He didn't yell at me. He threw the paper down. He said, son, <laughs> like, don't ever say you're poor. That's a mindset. And so how he set it up, in my mind, oh, he's going to go to respectability. Pro-. He's like, no, you're broke. And I was like, oh. <laughs> It's like, wow, okay, okay, all right. So, uh, yeah, so then that was kind of the last, but then it went to the epilogue, and I found it funny, given that all these people were praising Dave Chappelle for getting out of the system, and the epilogue shows how much he got back into the system, which, to me, all the jokes in the first half made total sense at that point after watching the epilogue. Because all he did, he praised Obama, he talked about um, Prince Charles, and then he shows all their pictures, and John Edwards, and all of these uh, pro-capitalist, pro-Zionist, pro-imperialist politicians. And all he was doing was praising uh-huh. pictures with them, and, and Kamala Harris, and I'm like, wow. And in the context of all Oh my this, God, yeah, when I saw all of that, I was like, oh... Oh, oh, that's what you're trying to say. Because when I seen Camilla Harris and Jay-Z and all of these people who he basically called out or mentioned in some way, even the woman that the the trans woman he was talking about, it's like it was almost like he was saying, you can't hate on me. I'm cool with everybody. I'm got this. You know, I'm not I'm not problematic. Look at who I'm with. Look at who loves me. Right, so then he had the whole story about Barack Obama and all of these people, and people were like, Kamala Harris, woo! Of course, because it's 2019, you know, all these people are on the show to run for president. So Kamala Harris is problematic, supports uh, jailing parents of truant kids, not prosecuting uh, racist cops, all of this stuff. Cops Civil asset forfeiture, like she, that woman. So Mnuchin, Mnuchin, like she's yeah. in for him. So all of these people have been problematic over time. Like we, like we've already talked about Obama numerous times, and he's still doing this praise of Obama 
given the policy. Oh, no, I don't understand. Anyone who praises Obama don't have any understanding of what foreign policy is or just policy in general. They don't really look at it. They look at it from the angle that the media talked about his tan suit. They only focus on that. They don't ever focus about his involvement in Syria, just war in general, the drone strikes, all of that. None of that is even mentioned. It's always just, oh, well, he was so attacked and he tried so hard. But it's like we just don't. The exceptionalism of Obama is insane. And I would say the same for his wife, Michelle Obama. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the first things Obama did was take troops out of Afghanistan to prep for if there were something to go down in the U.S. So that was one of the first things. I remember seeing that on, uh, it was like Russia Today or something. Okay, Russia, sure, whatever. But this was before the whole controversy with Russia. Uh, One of the other things that an Obama administration did with Hillary Clinton's support, of course, she's part of the administration, Secretary of State. So they supported the coup in Honduras in which uh, Berta Caceres and many other anti-imperialist activists were murdered under the coup. And then you had the NDAA, the kill list. You had, as you mentioned, Syria, what happened with Libya. You had the, the Blue Lives Matter bill, which was one of the last things Obama did. So all of these things under Obama, journalists being imprisoned, like, just all of these things that happened under Obama, And after all this time, 2019, Dave Chappelle is still like, yeah, I knew he was going to be president. He was taller than everybody. Yeah, I was just like this whole, I don't, I don't understand it. Like what, it it must be that, I I just don't understand it. Like, (laughs) like he went out of his way just to be like, oh yeah, he was the perfect president. Like, 2019. Yeah, and it's 2019. Like, why are we still talking about Obama? Like, Obama is not doing anything besides making a lot of money on his tours and, and like, ch- gentrifying the hell out of Chicago. <laughs> Rahm Emanuel. Oh, my goodness. Oh. That's, why, that's why everything that happened, particularly in the first half, made total sense to me. And why pre-Obama, his comedy, I feel like it was much more questionable about society. It was a much more mature kind of comedy. Um, it wasn't as reactionary. Yes, he still has that, that brilliant skill of setting up a joke, but it, it's just a different delivery. And the epilogue, watching that, and I'm glad I watched it, it made so much more sense why his comedy is the way it is now. And I don't know why people still think that dude is revolutionary or against the system. Like, no, oh, he is not. He is involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, people talk about how he was before. The, it would be one thing if we were talking to the Dave Chappelle that left, mm-hmm. but he came back and he embraced it and they embraced him. He literally changed it to where he was able to get something out of it. Now he has this prestige. He definitely yeah. has prestige now because all of them feel, oh, it's Dave Chappelle. Oh, he's hilarious. Oh, he could he could say that. You know, so it's really interesting. And this is why I'm going to just end on the Dave Chappelle thing here with the Dream Hampton quote again. There is nothing more radical or necessary than comedy that takes on power. An actual brave and brilliant comic 
can collapse regimes and shift culture in ways nothing and no one else can. I hope someone emerges. Seriously. Dave Chappelle is not that person at this point. And for people to continue to praise him like he is. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So I will give him his comedic timing. I will give him everything about that. But this this special felt flat. Yes, the, the last half was funny. But overall, especially the epilogue. Woo! I'm, I'm glad they, they filmed the epilogue because... Yeah, it, it made so much sense as to what's happening. What are your thoughts now that we had this discussion regarding this Dave Chappelle special? Well, I think I shared a, a lot of the same sentiments as you. I think it was very easy for him to make this special because he knew what the reaction would be. He just saw it and he just went with the predictable. So it wasn't it was very safe. For him, he didn't really go as wild as he could have, which is what my friend was telling me about it, which is that it wasn't his favorite because he he took the easy way out. I still appreciated how he framed society and how sort of the contradictions we have with each other. But again, the epilogue and just seeing how he framed it at the end when I saw those pictures and everything, I was like, oh, so he's really just saying I'm cool with everybody. Everybody should love me. I'm cool. I'm Dave Chappelle. Like. I say things to offend, but I'm cool. And all of these people think I'm cool. So the very few, so he's bringing a huge amount of attention to the people who don't like him, which are essentially everyone on Twitter. I would say for the most part, the Twitter world does not like Dave Chappelle. He's probably equal to, well, I don't want to say equal to, to Trump, but what I mean is people disregard him as someone. I mean, people respect him. You're going to get the respect. But the people who are coming against him, especially when he mentioned Dream Hampton, like, that literally designated him to a spot where I was like, nah, Dave Chappelle, he's lying. He's just, he just using people. So overall, the opinion of Dave Chappelle among people who are not comedians, like the regular people just on Twitter, they just probably think he's inconsiderate and he doesn't care about issues as he should. And he knows that. So he's kind of used this documentary as leverage to himself because the people who do respect him will say, Oh, but Dave is cool. He ain't really that bad. So I feel like the the amount of jokes he took all of overall it was just it was interesting how he framed him. But as with any comedy, I can look at all these different approaches. I just want to know what his whole ambition was. Why did he do this? Oh, it seemed as if he did this because he knew it would help how people look at him. It would give him the ticket. It gave him, it, it gives him some sort of collateral with, oh, well, I knew this would happen. See? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Paul Mooney a little bit because there was a mention in the epilogue about Paul Mooney and Paul Mooney being part of that crowd with Kamala Harris and John Edwards and et cetera. Given that there's the recent controversy about Paul Mooney, do you think there's a double standard? between how people are responding to Paul Mooney and how people are responding to somebody like Michael Jackson? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen that argument. I think with Paul Mooney, it's almost like people have suggested, oh, well, because he did this to Richard Pryor Jr., he's one to say Michael didn't do it. Um, Yeah, I have saw that. I've seen that. But I think with that... Ugh, that's not, I mean, 
<laughs> that just puts me down with Alice in the rabbit hole. I don't know. It's a wonderland now. Well, I, I, go, I mean, I, I, mean think, uh, I think that I don't, I'm not sticking on that, but I do think to answer your question, people are a bit biased with Michael Jackson because he has more of a. I mean, that's just, this is what I'm saying. It, I guess Michael Jackson is the greatest show on earth when you really go down to it. Like, it's really a lot to him that is so beyond surface. Very few people go that go as far to really understand it because there's so many other things to be distracted within. But Paul Mooney, he's sort of like, I think there's a lot to consider with him too because he has dementia or he's battling that. And he he's also very, he's already canceled a lot of shows before this happened. So I'm not sure. It's a lot. It's in lot. It's, it's really a lot. Like I'm really that kind of took me. I'm, I'm. I know I didn't really answer that question because I'm not really sure kind of where to come at it first. Well, both Paul Mooney and Michael Jackson have been respected for years in their fields. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, I think the difference is how he's presented himself. So he openly said, "I'm Peter Pan in my heart." He had Neverland. He wore all of this makeup. He, because he had vitiligo, chose to not wear the makeup of his original hue, but do um, uh, the oxygenation or whatever it is to make everything lighter and even. And he chose to wear lace, straight lace front wigs and all of this stuff. Because of how he presented himself, he was more scrutinized. Plus, he was very openly hanging out with young boys. He said, they're my friends, and we play video games, and we do this, that, and the other, and we climb trees. Paul Mooney, on the other hand, you never really saw him openly talk about his sexuality. Uh, He talked about being married, but he never talked about a lot of aspects of his life. He kept it business. Right, because he, yeah, he came, yeah, he came from the school of... Yeah, Michael was very open. It's interesting. You, I, I mean, looking at it from that angle, you're absolutely right. Michael was very open in how he expressed himself, sort of unapologetically, until it became a problem. He kind of navigated it like, oh, I can do this. I can, you know, I can. He almost seemed it as something of like, well, I can't live a normal life, so I'm going to live this life. Right, right. So since, since I can't live a normal life, I'm going to hang out with kids that are my friends because... I don't have the same childhood. I, I didn't have a childhood, so I have to navigate life differently. He looked at him, his life as so, and it was so vastly different to where, in his mind, there's nothing wrong with this. Why is this a problem? Right. You know, and he couldn't see it from the angle of how people perceived him. And Paul Mooney is, of course, from the school of, you know, a lot of people... And they don't talk about their personal lives, especially because they're not proud. I mean, he could have been because there have definitely been people from his era that are proud, like who they are. But he he I don't know. I feel like he's especially now. I don't know if he'll ever admit it or if he's past the point of admitting it. I mean, yeah, I I don't know. It was pretty much an open secret (laughs) that Paul Mooney has been with men. Richard Pryor talked about it in. The roast <laughs> that was part of the NBC special they had. They only had four episodes because it was too risque for TV. 
and you can actually watch all of our episodes on DVD and probably even YouTube. And the roast is actually on YouTube. He called Paul Mooney Miss Thang. So, I mean, they talked about <laughs> it. They talked about it. And it's, it's not really a secret, especially it, Paul Mooney didn't question it. or you know, So people know what's going on. A lot of people didn't pay attention. Like, I don't know. He was gay. I don't know if he identifies as gay or bisexual. He was married to women, could still identify as gay. I don't know. The thing is, and the question is, did he sexually abuse children? And that is the main question. If he's gay, that shouldn't matter. You you have two consenting adults. That's not the issue. The issue is, did he sexually abuse children? And uh, given a lot of the things that happen in that industry, I have to say I wouldn't be surprised if it happened Sadly, as much as I love Paul Mooney, I would not be surprised. The greatest irony is that Michael Jackson presented himself in a certain way. Looking at it, there wasn't, from my vantage point and from my research, enough evidence to show or prove that he did any kind of sexual violence upon children with Paul Mooney because there was so much hidden and there's the comedic industry in Hollywood and everything. And they hadn't really talked about it. I wouldn't be surprised, given that Richard Pryor's wife. Yeah, I mean, she could say anything, but there were other people who uh, validated those claims. So it it is possible that is true. Sadly, uh, if it is true, I would not be surprised. And that means I have I do have to cancel Paul Mooney. You were talking about cancel culture. I'm not a fan, but anybody who is a pedophile or a rapist, I gotta cancel you. That's just my my view on that. Right. I don't know how you feel about that, but well, I wanted. Well, I feel that's your right. I mean, but what would involve canceling them? What would involve canceling? Oh, I've seen Paul Mooney twice, and I have to just not even acknowledge that. I have to just not really acknowledge his work anymore that's just how i feel about canceling it's like if i ever when you say you don't acknowledge it do you mean you say it doesn't exist anymore or it's not valid anymore it's not funny anymore is it does it be, does the meaning of that experience change altogether yes of it? yes so I, obviously you can't say he never did any work because that wouldn't be true there's evidence of that work but for me, I can't validate it anymore because the whole context of it changes. Anything he did could have been to cover up his crimes. And I, I have to look at it that way. It's like if I was a fan of R. Kelly, I never was. But if I were to buy all of his records, um, same with Michael Jackson. If there was any sort of evidence that came out he did that, I would burn all of my records on camera. I have every single Michael Jackson record. I would burn all of them on camera. I would smash whatever but I, he he would be persona non grata. Or my tattoo, I would get him covered. You'd be persona non grata to me. Yeah, he may well, get me. I well see that's something I'm a I'm a dog at you for you being a Scorpio. <laughs> I am a Scorpio. I that's so true. That's a, because I don't I don't register with that. I could never like what I would do well I'm not gonna say I could never, but my general aspect is I find out something like that. Like with R. Kelly, he's a good example because I have quite a few fond memories of certain songs of his while growing up because they were associated to reunions and 
all these other things. So certain songs, if I hear them in the background, it might remind me of that. I don't ever go out my way. I've never really gone out my way to explicitly play R. Kelly. Yeah. But I'm not going to also say that those songs are not good. Those songs are still good. I'm still, I still enjoy those songs. I actually, at the moment, it's not like if I hear it, I say, I have to turn this off. Because mm-hmm. I'm not approaching it from, oh, well, this is coming from the same. Because I also know everyone, it's also the curse. I don't necessarily want to call it a curse. But if you're a celebrity, all eyes on you, right? More people are more interested in what you do. So you sort of do have a responsibility to maintain privacy and also just know that people are looking for or people are just curious to know how you're living your life. And of course, if you're living your life in a way that's destructive and it's hurting somebody and that comes out, then that's a good thing. Because then it'll hopefully challenge a change in that. I mean, it'll ultimately destroy your image and you will not be seen as anyone like that's what's happened to R. Kelly. Like, I'm not going on my way to be like, oh, R. Kelly still. Oh, no, he's still. A, I don't do that because it's like, yeah, I don't listen to him enough. There's a problematic life. You know, my the songs that I enjoy, the songs that I enjoy. I don't um because I'm not connected to anyone's work enough because here's the other side to it. You, you can be a good person. You can be perceived as a good person and still be shitty and have things about you that I have no idea you're doing. And I think that's the case. I mean, most of not, most of us are not famous, so we don't have people looking at us. But if we all were famous, there are things we do that we may not want to admit to someone else that is problematic. Absolutely. So do we go out of our way? Now, again, if you're doing something that's a pattern, it's psychological or something you're just doing because you think you can get away with it, that's a problem. But if you exhibit behavior that someone else might not agree with, you know, this is why people, the, the age of lie is, or not the age of lie, but what people say, and I kind of get credit to it when they say, you know, mind your business. That's not your business. Mind your business. Mind your business. Mind your business. Mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> Mind your business. You know, if it ain't about you, if if you see it hurting somebody, then yeah, you need to step up. If you see something could potentially be disastrous, then yeah, intervene. But some things you can't really, you don't know why somebody's doing that. It ain't your business to know to be speculating and going out of your way to be, oh, they shouldn't. I mean, you can be that way, but it it doesn't really that kind of gossip and just and wondering what people doing and I kind of like. That's you know why why that's that that takes energy, it really does, and it's not always good energy, especially if you dissolve what you do. You can look at what somebody else doing, you can't look at yourself. That's well. Can you can you name an example of when it is good to mind your business? When you see somebody who could potentially be with someone, and you think, or they might be talking to someone, and you think they could be, you know, involved with that person. Or you think the way they're living their life or the way they, you know, when people project what they like, if they give unsolicited advice based off of things they deem as harmful, like when Christians tell LGBT people that they need to repent because, you know, God ain't happy with them. Okay. That's the situation. Like people literally thinking, because I disagree with this so strongly, you should not be a part of it because. This person is this way. You shouldn't like it. Like not acknowledging the fact that people experience life differently and that belief is kaleidoscopic, that we don't always see it the same way. And you can look at the same thing from a different angle if you know, if you can kind of understand the context as to why that person is seeing it that way, because it's not really that black or white. Things are, you know, the world is extremely great and 
it's if you're not willing to really discover that nuance, then it's not I don't think it's good to just interject and think, oh, well, I have a problem with that. So you should have a problem with it. Like it's mm-hmm. a, a deeper than that. OK, but if someone's is there's evidence of someone harming kids, say Paul Mooney was actually doing this and no one stepped in because Paul Mooney is a huge figure in the comedy scene then there's a problem with that whole scene. And it was said by the bodyguard that Richard Pryor, when he found out this happened, that he put a hit out on Paul Mooney. And just, so that's all of this stuff. And I, I think that's actually, I mean, that shows that there was something to be done about it. Like he didn't, he didn't approve of that. So, I mean. It's not that he didn't approve. It was because it was his son. So that was right, the reason. Exactly. This is right. If another child would, Richard Pryor have stepped in? I don't know. So that's another question to ask. I don't know. Right. I mean, maybe he would have. Richard Pryor's gone at this point. I cannot have an answer for that. I did want to uh, go back to Dave Chappelle for one second because he talked about with Juicy Smollett. He said at this point, because Jesse Smollett was lying, even we had to have some kind of sympathy for the cops. He says, usually Africans don't do that. But in this situation, you know, we had to be silent for Jesse Smollett because we all collectively knew who was lying. The, the, the gay community was like, how come y'all ain't talking? He said, mm, that's because we know he lying. So we, we supported him silently. And then I thought about, again, going back to his connection to Jay-Z. I wanted to play this little thing. You think about the idea of uh, growing up in a single parent house, which I grew up in, which you grew up in, and having an adverse feeling for authority, right? Your father's gone, so you're like, I hate my dad. Well, nobody tell me what to do. I'm the man in the house. And then you hit the street and you run into a police officer. And his first thing is, put your hands up, breathe, shut up. And you're like, excuse my language, everybody. You're like, fuck you. Right? So that, that interaction causes people to lose lives. What do you think of that? <laughs> oh, well, I think Wait, some, before you get in, we're going to play another one. Hold on. We don't want people that's uh, in charge of the police uh, areas to be in danger either. We want to be very clear. You know, if someone commits a crime, they should go to jail. But these things are just disproportionate, and the whole world knows it. Uh-uh. Nope. <laughs> like that that whole angle and I've heard it you know that's that central that's the center mm. like oh people go to, I mean what he's trying to say is essentially that look respect the fact that we're human and all, but that's not what the system is designed to do like it's it's not going to consider you as that so that whole angle I don't agree with it I think that's a very easy and instead of just really hitting at decriminalizing a lot of the things that are what's getting people in jail and there's just so many levels to it I don't think he handled that well though because he's coming from he's still protecting the cops he's literally saying oh well you know we we know why you're here we just you know see us see us look at us look we've been saying that for so long they're not you can they saw Martin you think they saw Martin Luther King and he was dressed to the nines he was a preacher that man was 
nonviolent. Still got shot, <laughs> killed. So I mean, that doesn't work. I don't think that you know. Just hope you know. And then even saying about language, like, yeah, you don't have a father, so a cop tell you to shut up, and you you know, on some level, yeah, that does happen, and it is happening. But in another sense, it's like you can't just divorce the whole system being the way that it is. Like this is how it's been. This is how it's designed. And if you don't root, if you don't go after the target to see what they're doing it for, like the money that they're making from it, and it's not going to change. So I do not see Sean Carter in any way, shape or form saying we need to be seen. What I am hearing in that commentary is a repeat of the Negro family, a case for national action, a.k.a. the Monaghan report report which was uh, in, from 1965. And it's saying, you know, women going out and working and breaking apart families is definitely rooted in some aspect of misogyny. It's saying it's, it's quote, black women's fault for breaking apart families. That's what I'm hearing ultimately in the message, whether or not that's his intent. And whenever people say the reason why black boys don't respect authority is because of single mothers. And that is what I am getting out of this message. It is, again, a repeat of the Moynihan Report from 1965. It's a repeat, a lot of racists argue, and it's problematic. He straight up said, well, I was a product of you know, a single mother and I went out and sold crack. That's why it, no. Uh, so it's just problematic on that level. And this was this year he said this. He's about his money. He has no concern about the masses of African people. He never really did. The NFL thing is just one aspect of the full scope of how problematic Sean Carter is. A lot of people are expecting Beyonce to say something. I don't think she's going to. I think, you know, people in, what do you call that? What's that company that he quote unquote runs, Title. Uh, so people who had deals right. with Title, people who had deals with Title are now coming out against him and saying they weren't properly treated. It's just so much stuff that's being exposed right now. And we are in the age of Aquarius where things are being exposed. And there is a lot of feminine energy that's being presented to us and a lot of truths that are being exposed. So I'm not surprised by anything that's happening. A lot of the exposure of the pedophilia, the exposure of capitalism how insidious it is is i'm glad that that exposure is taking a higher like attention it seems that that's becoming more and more a conversation piece which it should because that's the root of it all like imperialism and capitalism like when you really look at it from that angle that's what jay-z kind of really showed us with this whole thing with the nfl it's like okay when colin kaepernick went with this he had a just defiant angle against NFL, like, oh, we shouldn't perform, like, just all of this, and then it just flipped, literally. And then people was like, oh, well, you know, he ain't really, this is the problem with the community, we don't even, 
why can't both ideas be right? You know, I've heard that even say. It's like, <laughs> listen, <laughs> when you speak to someone like myself, I don't typically, you know, I say this and I say it in the angle not to be dismissive of life because I do believe there's value and there's such a thing as truth. But I also believe that life is absurd, truly. And most of the things we're arguing about on a micro and macro level, they definitely affect us. But then if you flip the coin, they don't. Because then there are other things that are a bit more important. And, you know, when you die and when you think of legacy and all these other things that I often think about that philosophers have pondered on for centuries, it really just gets you thought, okay, why am I really being angry about this? Why am I not trying to see what is there in front of me? So, I mean, it's one thing to have this conversation. It's a, a whole other thing to really put our all into these celebrities and to really just buy into the corporate media's illusion. I mean, they are saying they're selling the same tricks. Nothing is really being changed. Nothing new is under the sun. A lot of the stuff we're seeing has been seen before, shown before, revealed before, written about before, sung about before, danced before. Like these are things that have always happened. And but now the climate is really changing. It's really becoming more and more crucial for us to really know that, you know, eventually the bubble's going to collapse and we're going to have to be ready for war because guess what? It's coming. Like, I mean, it, it's here. Like Sister yeah, Sophie said right. years ago, we are at war and we are and collectively we're not prepared. We're blindsided when these things happen. And I think the reaction to uh, cancel culture, I think it's part of it because we don't have an understanding that we're at war. So we just cancel uh, without any explanation. And, and there's a reason for canceling things in people. But I'm not a support of the culture when we focus on these things instead of the larger context or the systemic issues. And I wanted to, on that note, end with these particular things. So we have uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, in light of what you heard from Sean Carter, it's amazing that he's still looking at Sean Carter as this ally in a way, given his critique of society on one level or another, and then you hear Sean Carter saying, well, single families is a huge contributor to boys not listening to authority. Uh, Dave Chappelle has to question that. And then when we focus on these celebrities and when they are clear about what they're doing, we think on some levels, some people think that Jay-Z's playing chess when he's just a small piece of the fuller picture and he is a puppet and so when we have uh, after watching this special i'm thinking of dave chappelle as a puppet on a smaller level of course but why would he do this i just have questions about that and our focus on these systems we complain about mtv not giving us representation but then we expect mtv to give us representation I'm like, which one is it? Like, right, there's always that dance of we're right. getting representation, yet we need representation, and we. <laughs> so we understand again in the concepts of Dave Chappelle, like he left because he understood he wasn't being represented, but then he's now hanging out, thinking us representation of some sort. So with this whole conversation around uh, whether or not 
you should take out Michael Jackson's name in the Video Vanguard Award. I'm like, just take the freaking thing out because Michael Jackson doesn't need that. Michael Jackson to us is something different than what it means to MTV. Like it's just a name to them. They're obviously not honoring the impact Michael Jackson made because why are they questioning taking the name out? Because if it was really about these cases, they would have taken it out in 1994. So, and they would have taken it out in 2005 if it was really about that. So now because they're feeling the heat of leaving Neverland, the industry, they're like, oh, do we need to take it out? And I know they've questioned doing it before, but they did not. But now why is it, that is such a big deal and why is it that since they still have the name they can't even mention the name on their outlets when missy elliott was receiving the award she says i'm i'm so happy to get the michael jackson video vanguard award but mtv mentioned it on their website but overall they haven't mentioned it so my question is why are we so focused that mtv keeps the name at this point, Michael Jackson's a non-factor to MTV. So why are they keeping it in name only? Like change it to just Video Vanguard Award or Missy L or whatever. It's a non-factor. Well, I mean, and they're they're probably eventually going to do that, but of course, the community online will not ha- will have a problem with that because they're looking yeah. at it as erasure. Right. But it, like, oh, well, Michael contributed so much. You say what? is essentially a race from MTV. So what's the point of keeping the award? Is now it's just it's just a facade at this point. It's just platitudes. MTV doesn't acknowledge Michael Jackson, more or less. And and if you're only acknowledging him based on a name of an award, it doesn't really matter to quote Janet Jackson's song title. But it it really doesn't matter at this point. If it wasn't for Billy Jean and the CBS machine behind the Thriller album, that's if they did one thing, they did that. <laughs> if it wasn't for the short film Billy Jean, MTV probably would not be in existence today. Obviously, they acknowledge it on that level, which is why they call call it the the MJ Video Vanguard Award. That said, he's essentially a non factor they don't even acknowledge michael jackson on a regular basis so what is the point of having a name and hanging on to a name if he's a non-factor so we have to understand cultural impacts and we have to understand the the larger issues that those mean why i just i'm just trying to understand and figure that out like why are we holding on to this thing that doesn't even matter to viacom (laughs) to mtv (laughs) and for Missy to have now just gotten this award, that's fine and everything, but still, I, I feel like they're doing it because it's a political move. It's just like, okay, finally, we're giving it to her. Shut up. It has nothing to do with any kind of uh, sincere action. So we have to stop depending on these white supremacist and racist corporations to give us validation because that's all it is. Well, I do want validation from these corporations who invalidate us daily. So we have to stop being like, keep Michael Jackson's name. We have to do it because they only care about us when we produce for them. We produce profit for them. That's it. We have to acknowledge that. And I 
I'm a minority on this as someone who's an advocate for Michael Jackson. I say get rid of the name because of that, because it doesn't mean anything to them. And y'all can yell at me all you want, but that award means nothing. It means nothing. All it is is, again, platitudes. Like If they're giving it to Jennifer Lopez, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's like video vanguard. And I personally don't like the word vanguard because I'm a person who is an advocate for the masses. So vanguard is a particular uh, minimal number of people who represent the echelon. So, you know, I'm, I'm not even with the word vanguard. That said, uh, Michael Jackson is essentially, he's just like, okay, like he did Billy G, whatever. Like we'll give him an award, but it doesn't mean anything. So get rid of it. I don't care. I IDC. And I'm glad Missy got it. And her performance, she showed out. Like, that is how you do a performance. So I, I'm just like, yo, that's, that is the top. Like, that is how you do it. And yeah, it was really um, good. It's very clear. And this was, it's like, I watched, people they showed in the audience were not connected to Missy at all. They only knew Get Your Freak On. Right, exactly. It's, and it's exactly. Like they had no connection to Missy. So what is the point of any of this? Our culture, what Missy means to us, uh, not only as women, as African people, for some people in the LGBT community, like Missy has a particular significance to us. And MTV is not concerned with that. They're just like, finally, okay, y'all shut up. We gave her an award. That's all it means to them. So I say take the Michael Jackson name away and the fans create something. Like stop depending on Viacom, stop depending on these capitalist corporations to validate us. We gotta stop that. So I am advocated for taking away the name as an anti-capitalist. Like I don't care about MTV. I haven't watched MTV in I don't know how long. So with that, like A, I would love to know your views on that and then the whole idea of having these so-called documentaries because it's it's along the same lines our voices are not represented in these documentaries so with mtv with these documentaries like like we need to start creating more of our own media where our voices matter where our voices are of utmost importance because as mentioned in the last podcast, you have Lavelle Smith, like it had nothing to do with Lavelle Smith. It was about Michael Jackson and the people who created that documentary were European. So it's just, they're like, we just want to know about Michael Jackson. So the people who just do these interviews, they just want to know about Michael Jackson, but they don't care about the lives of African people who worked with Michael. The same with the Sign of the Times documentary. Who cares about the voices of African people who work with Prince Rogers Nelson? Right. So we have to understand that this is not about us. This is about how these Europeans connect to these artists and our voices don't matter. And it's very clear. It's more than clear. I'm just really curious to know what your views are on that. Look, you said it all right there. I mean, essentially, they're having uh, they have their own narrative and they're going to use that narrative to use as the narrative like no other narrative is going to be seen and i think a lot of people depend on it because they look at it from an angle of oh if we get new material we want the new material incorporated in this new narrative but it's going to really be the same you know like 
we, we should create our own media. We can be the foundation of our own creation. We don't need, we can build from our own foundation without having to depend on, you know, corporate media to do it. They're not going to do it. They're going to take the easy way out. The thing that they know that will bring attention. They might add in a few minor details, but ultimately they don't give it the same concern. So we should depend on ourselves to, to bring in that new change. But I think for a lot of people, it's hard for them to do that because they're looking at just what the potential could be. They're so wrapped up in, oh, they could do this, they could do that. You know, it's just like building on the dream, but not really having enough discipline to put it out to use. So, yeah, that's all I would say about that. And I feel like with, with Michael, with Missy Elliott, with many artists that are celebrated, if you will, by white America and to an extent Western Europe, um, there's this aspect of the magical Negro. So Michael Jackson appeared to be this sort of magical Negro to people. And he was larger than life and he suspended in air and this and that. Like you hear the way we talk about Michael Jackson, you hear the way Europeans talk about Michael Jackson. They speak about him as if he was magic. And yep. I know he he talked about believing in magic and but for him that was escapism. When you hear Europeans talk about Michael Jackson, he it was he was a magical Negro and he's infantilized. When we talk about him, it's like, for instance, when I talk about, like, I was declared weird as a child. To this day, people call me weird. And I empathize with Michael because he was weird. To have a space as a person of African descent, uh, that means a lot to me. And when a lot of people talk about Missy, it's like, she's from Virginia. She's straight up the people of African descent look more for cultural cues and they look more for places of identity and they look more for places where they can connect. Whereas again, when Europeans talk about these artists, it's like, wow, wow. You know, it's like, and, and that's what I saw in the audience when people were watching Missy and they kept showing what's her face. The, the one that, that white supremacists love. She was a darling of white supremacists for a while. Um, not Miley Cyrus. What's the other? What's her name? I don't even know. The blonde-haired lady. <laughs> I don't even know her name. <laughs> you know who she is. Taylor Swift, right? I'm sorry. Her, her, her. So they kept showing her, and I'm like, she is the epitome of whiteness. And here you have Missy Elliott. And why are they showing Taylor Swift? continuously why are they not showing queen latifah why are they not showing people who have a connection to missy elliott why are they not even showing someone in the audience who knows the lyrics to missy elliott's songs it's amazing they want to give off the impression that taylor swift is cool she knows who missy elliott is she's dancing that's why they're trying to do it it's silly though (sighs) so it's not effective but that's what they that's why they're doing that in the scheme of that, Missy Elliott is still being erased because now Taylor Swift is here. Missy Elliott, okay, we're giving you a conciliatory prize because people have been asking for years. Okay, here we go. But who we really want to show is Taylor Swift because she's, you know, the epitome of where we want to be right now. So it's it's still insulting. <laughs> for instance, say... If they had an award for, hmm, 
I don't know an artist many people weren't familiar with. Say they had a whole tribute to a gospel or something like that. I would expect a majority of the audience not know the lyrics. That's one thing. But Missy, she sang all of her hits. And it looked to me as if all those people listened to the radio. So how could, how could you not even know Super Duper Fly? I mean, that, how could you not know that? How could you not know uh, WTF? Like, just songs that are probably her most popular songs she did during that set. And people were like, I, I, I don't know. I just know Get Your Freak On. Even, um, what's the, uh, Work It. So Work It is the one that where the lady at the cookout did. Even that people didn't know. It was this, it was this white lady that did Work It. <laughs> Missy Elliott has major cultural significance to us. Even with that, while they're showing her amazing performance when she shut it down, they still showing the epitome of whiteness. I like that's insulting. That's why we should not depend on these corporations for for validation. We gotta stop that. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. And so there are people like Alison Stoner, who's of European descent, who has danced with Missy since she was a child. So even that, to have Alison Stoner. And so there were a ton of people who watched it who have been with Missy for years. So they knew it, but they weren't in the audience. <laughs> people were like, oh, Alison Stoner, what's up? So there, there were so many Missy fans who watched that. And people were saying, I haven't watched MTV in years, but I watched this clip because it was Missy. It just shows how much black labor is exploited for ratings and for profit. And yet still whiteness is epitomized through Taylor Swift or some other medium. And now they're showing Justin Bieber singing, never would have made it. I know. And that's such a, you know, and this is something I wanted to say, and I know shots fired on me. People are not going to like this, especially (laughs) black persons. But I don't like how it's like as soon as a white person sings gospel music, okay, you can think of Martha Munizzi, you can think of Vicky, I can think of several white gospel artists that literally are Republicans to the T to where they hate black black people overall, like Paula White. Oh, I can go on and on about these white people who are involved in gospel, who literally exploit gospel music, but are staunch Trump supporters, are staunch whatever it is. So, I mean, so the fact that Justin Bieber is singing a gospel song and all of these black people are like, oh, just, oh, I know he on. It's like, oh, it annoys me to no end. It is one of the most frustrating things to see because it's like, you say you have a problem with white supremacy, but you can literally be a white supremacist, but say you love Jesus. And I'm not <laughs> saying Justin Bieber is, by the way, I'm just saying like the whole thing of, a white person singing gospel or just being involved in some, it's just, we go over the top for that. And it's just annoying. Right. So the people are really saying Justin Bieber's invited the, at the cookout now? Yes. That's what, yes. Are you serious? Yes. No. Black Twitter is literally praising it as among the best thing they've seen. Like, oh, Justin Bieber's cool. Like he got a connection to God. Like it's, it's all of that. Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> people talking about I love Jesus. They praising saying Justin Bieber's in front of the right. Look, I as I told you, I think you know, like 
just the couple of songs I heard from him and then listening to him sing gospel, I'm like, that's his voice is better suited for that. I'll give him that. But to to excuse him for all his racist behavior because he's singing never would have made it? Really? Right. This is the same boy who was making those jokes. He's had a lot of racist things he said over time. I mean, and yeah, oh, but he's singing gospel music. So that so, makes him automatically like you like you can a white person can do anything essentially, but as long as they start involving the church or gospel, it's just a sign off. He was doing them runs, he was like, oh. I was like, okay. Oh. Never would have been <laughs> I was like, Jeff just be But I never would excuse him. I just think like, like to me, Whitney Houston, her voice is better suited to gospel and I see the same thing with Justin Bieber. That does not Oh, that dude is problematic. He peeing in, peeing in a mop bucket, and, and he went to Brazil. Where was he went to Brazil? Oh my God, right. He, yeah. uh, he painted a, a picture of a monkey. You know, one less lonely. And we're like, I, I'm not excusing no Justin Bieber. And I don't know who is. That dude is problematic. That's what I'm saying. He's incredibly <laughs> problematic, but for some reason, he's oh, Justin Bieber. <laughs> He was such a nice. Dead without whiteness. Right. Oh yeah. But whoever I don't know who is playing the keys in the Justin B whatever church that is, but he he gonna come up with a gospel record. I guarantee, and, and we gonna buy it. without <laughs> the purchase of African people. <laughs> All I would say is we got to know, despite the many approaches, we could all still be empathetic because I think it was a good point how you mentioned, you know, empathy is important, even though you can take several approaches. Empathy, you can always look at it from this way that way around the corner around the block whatever but as long as we realize we can be more empathetic as a community yeah that's what i would say okay y'all uh, uh, we would love to hear what you think about this David Chappelle special. If you listened to it or watched it, what are your thoughts? If you agree, disagree, both. Yeah, it's it's wild out here. It's wild out here, exactly. <laughs> but you definitely have a good day, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we will be speaking to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. And we definitely have our information, so um, give us a rate. Give us a, I was going to say call, but don't call us. We're not giving our phone numbers. <laughs> we have a Twitter account. We have the email. So, yeah, contact us if you have any questions, comments, critiques, praises, whatever you got. We'd love to see you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.